It's news to us. We are now live on Adobe Radio. And uh, Jason, how's it going? I'm good. How are you, Eddie? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Uh, I guess all you have a good birthday. Good birthday week. Yeah, it was pretty good. Thanks for celebrating uh, during these weird times. I know it's not the ideal situation, but it's good to see you for just a little bit. Yeah, it was fun. Um, yeah, so you know, this week we're going to uh, just dive right in back, kind of where we left off. Uh, Jason's back after taking last week off. How was your week off last week, by the way? Are you recharged? Yeah, I feel a lot better. Uh, Katie's not joining us tonight, though. It's just me. Okay, that's uh, that's fine. I think I think we can manage. I don't know how we're gonna do it, but we'll try. We'll try. Yeah, I did. How'd she do? Was uh, she good fill in for me? Yeah, she did. She filled in for you just fine last week. I mean, there's been some heavy topics uh, just in the country in general, and it, it was difficult to do the show the past couple of weeks. Not going to lie, it really was really hard. Um, yeah, it's a heavy time, man. It it really is. It really is. So we're gonna just we're gonna dive in tonight with uh, a couple things as we do because obviously it's a uh, it's a program with topics. If we didn't have topics, then what the hell are we doing? Get off! Stop it! Hanging out? Yeah, exactly. Well, you've been hearing a lot about Antifa. <laughs> what the hell is Antifa exactly? We'll tell you all about it, and then we're going to talk to our guest, uh, Doctor Cindy Cindy Doctor Cindy Bonnier is running for House. 19th district of Florida as a Democrat, and she's uh, trying to win the primary on August 18th. She's going to be joining us live on the show. We're also going to talk about COVID-19 reopen failures. A lot of states across the United States are reopening, and it's uh, leading to disaster already, as predicted by me and you. It's news to us. It's news to us. With Eddie and Jason. All right. You know, in many ways, it kind of feels like we haven't done a show in a couple weeks just because of everything going on. Um, so if, if we're a bit rusty, that's why. Whatever. You try doing this. Leave me alone. <laughs> I think you do a great job, Eddie. I really bring us down, though. No, you don't. That's ridiculous. Stop that. <laughs> uh, it's all right. Yeah, you, you, without you, the show would not be here. We, you, you are just a. Let, let's just kiss each other's asses the entire rest of the show because that feels yeah, a lot, that, that feels a lot what better. We're do tonight. It feels a lot better than talking about what's happening in the world. No, you're the best. <laughs> dirty deeds. The dirty deeds. An in-depth look at this week's most important stories. Antifa. You've been hearing Antifa a lot. What the hell is Antifa? Is it a conspiracy theory? What does George Soros have to do with Antifa is what I want to know. Well, I'm pretty sure it's a pet project for George Soros. (laughs) Is that what it is? Well, that's the conspiracy theory, right? What really is is. Antifa? Because we're hearing this a lot with the demonstrations going on. We have the president blaming the radical left and, and Antifa on the violence and the uprising. Is he out of his goddamn mind? Or, I mean, with saying that, what is Antifa? I mean, because he's just throwing it around like everybody knows, but I don't think everybody really knows what Antifa is or means. No, Antifa is actually uh, it's an umbrella term. Uh, it denotes a broad spectrum of groups and individuals 
Um, it's not a unified organization like uh, they want you to believe, though. Okay, so when the president says that he wants to uh, declare Antifa a terrorist organization, it's not really an organization, is what you're saying? Uh, that's correct. Okay. Yeah, it's not unified. It's a. It's a. Uh, um, there's far. There's a number of different organizations that uh, kind of fall under that umbrella, but there's not one specific entity that is Antifa. So when he throws around Antifa. On Twitter, um, he's basically just trying to fear monger and create this uh, this boogeyman. Which which, boogeyman is that? What he's trying to do? I mean, it seems like it. You know, you always hear about uh, these far right conspiracy theories of uh, George Soros and uh, Uh, the Democratic, the deep state. I'm Alex Jones. You know, George Soros is uh, the deep state, and uh, they're they, they want to drink the blood of babies. The Antifa, they're coming after you. When you sleep, they I mean, watch it, you naked in the showers. I, you know, this is my opinion, I, you know, but it's it's more a projection from uh, DJT and the, the GOP and, you know, all these far-right uh, uh, entities. Yeah. You know, they're projecting what they, in fact, are. They're uh, the deep state. So yeah, you know, gaslight, obstruct, and project is what GOP stands for. Ooh, I love that. Yeah, and that's. I mean, have you noticed you every, everything? No, I saw that on Reddit, uh, and I'm I'm taking it. And you know, everything that the, the GOP accuses someone else of doing, there we find out later that okay. they have been doing themselves. Absolutely. A bunch of really, they're a bunch of goddamn hypocrites, really. You know, you, you remember one of DJT's things when uh, running in 2016 was drain the swamp. Right. You know, but he feels the corruption out of Washington. The, yeah, he, he made Washington more corrupt if that was possible. Oh, well, we're learning it is. Antifa, the see, what I thought was kind of interesting is that Antifa actually stands for anti fascist. And if you are pro-fascist, get the fuck out of America. <laughs> I mean, right? then I then I guess I'm Antifa, just based on that uh, definition alone. I don't want a fascist government telling me what I can and can't do. We already have a a wannabe fascist asshole trying to turn this country into uh, his own dictatorship, and I I don't want that. And people are standing up to him. Who the hell wants that? Antifa's, um, it's the far left uh, side of liberalism, right? They have anarchist tendencies. They they don't believe in capitalism. Uh, that you know they want to fight against capitalism. But That's then again, when you their... say they, it's just like a few people here and there talking at a bar, like uh, maybe two people. I mean, there's like no, there's no group, there's no centralized Antifa group as far as we know, right? Well, there's not a specific group, no, but there. are uh, there's lots of people that share some of these ideas, but you can't blame a huge portion of a population, can you? Well, I guess you can. What am I saying? <laughs> it's not right, though. I'll say that. Okay, but it's not really a huge portion of the population either. It's not like they're. No, it's not. It's very small. But it's not like they're like headquartered in you know Connecticut or something like. You know, there's no like I mean, headquarters of the no. The KKK is more organized than Antifa. That's Way correct. more organized, 
Antifa. So when why why are they trying to create this enemy? Do you think like is it just like uh, we're just grasping for straws here? We need to we need to put a name to this thing. We're trying to distract. I feel like uh, DJT always needs an enemy. Right. Someone to bash, you know, someone to... And this is perfect because there's not one specific person. It's just the movement. Right. And so uh, DJT did tweet that uh, he wants to make Antifa a terrorist organization, but it's just a loosely organized movement. And he doesn't even have it's not the, an organi- Wait, 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 stop. I, it's not an organization. It's a movement. Yeah, I said loosely organized movement. I know, I know, but that's perfect, right? Like, yeah, it's a movement, not an organization. So how can you label a movement a terrorist organization if it's not organized? Exactly. What you would be doing is directly attacking freedom of speech. And right. you'd be violating the Constitution by doing so. So... No. What? Check another box for him. Yeah, yeah. So if the president says that he wants to designate Antifa a terrorist organization, and he's say he gets away with this, and this is like kind of going down a rabbit hole because I don't think that he will, thankfully. But if he does, he could pretty much label anybody as uh, being a part of the Antifa quote unquote organization. And just because he doesn't like you, because you said something shitty to him on Twitter, and come after you because it's that loosely organized so by saying it's a terrorist organization we're all in trouble yeah you, you could be sent to Gitmo for a tweet exactly and you know that we're on a shit list i'm sure with the things that we say to him on twitter and also during the show so uh you might get a knock on your door from bill Barr's ss yeah. um but uh was i just gaslighting eddie did <laughs> i just gaslight why Saying that if you if you send a bad tweet that you will be sent to Gitmo. Yeah, I think so. Maybe that, that's a prime example of gaslighting, folks. Yeah, but <laughs> so, anyways, that's what Antifa is. When DJT throws it around, don't let that scare you. He's just trying to drum up support for an anti movement that doesn't exist uh, in the fashion that he's presenting it as too. So. Um, well, it's a threat to him too, because you know I feel like he's infatuated with fascists. Like he wants complete power, an absolute power, right? So this right. is a direct threat to his goals. Now, I don't agree with any sort of violent protest or movement or violence in general. Uh, but just from what I'm understanding, anti-fascist is kind of the core principle of being uh, a part of Antifa and. If you don't support that, then you're not American. So, in my opinion, most people are part of Antifa. <laughs> and they don't know it. Right? Mm, yeah, maybe they believe in some <laughs> of the Antifa principles, but, uh, you know, they do promote their movement, uh, both nonviolent and violent. Like, that is part of their, okay. you know, what they, you know, they confront violence, basically. Like, you know, Charlottesville. That was, uh, you had the white supremacists marching into Charlottesville and Antifa were there to counteract them and, you know, go head to head with them. So, yeah. Yep. 
So from what I understand, the violence with Antifa has only risen, or this quote-unquote Antifa has only risen when they're confronted with violence, is from what right. the research I've looked up says, at least. So um, there you go. They don't seek violence out, though. When he throws that around, we're, we're, taking, away, we're taking the power back, because when he throws around that term, it, he, he thinks it has a lot of weight, but it really doesn't. So don't fall for his bullshit. It is. It's news to us. Moving on with the Dirty Deets. The Dirty Deets. An in-depth look at this week's most important stories. Uh, COVID reopen fails. COVID reopen fails. A lot of states have started to reopen, and it's not going as planned. Because guess what? Just because you decide a virus is over, it is not fucking over. Excuse my <laughs> language. But before we get to that real quick, why don't we just mix it up with a quick game? Oh, good. <clears throat> just a quick game. This is a real fast game, and uh, this is called Trump Verbatim Theater. Okay, and I thought this might be kind of fun to do on the show regularly if this works out. But basically, uh, we have excerpts, transcripts of actual things that Trump has said in speeches or in meetings, and we're just going to read them out loud in our own voices because I feel like when you actually read and hear what this guy says um, in a, just in a slightly different tone and inflection without actually seeing the guy, you realize just how batshit crazy he is. So are you ready for... Are you ready for this? Is this a this? game or just... Uh, <laughs> just reading it. It's just, it's just an example. We're just it's reading really a transcript a of something he actually said. Are you ready? Help us. Yeah. It's News to Us presents a real transcript of something Bunker Boy said. This is Trump Verbatim Theater. Okay, would you like to take the first one? Yeah, sure. All right, here we go, folks. But I saw what happened in Dallas, and those kids are all on camera. The wise guys, and it's coming from the radical left. You know, everybody knows it. But it's all lo also looters, and it's people that figured they could get free stuff running into stores and running out with television sets. I saw a kid has a lot of stuff. <laughs> all right. This is an official statement from the president. Keep that in mind. This is not a third grader speaking. Okay? Or uh, me speaking on my own. <laughs> here's, a, here's just one more here. It's happened numerous times. And the only time it's successful is when you're weak. And most of you are weak. And I will say this. What's going on in Los Angeles? I have a friend that lives in Los Angeles. They say all the storefronts are gone. They're all broken and gone. And merchandise is gone. It's a shame. I didn't. It didn't look as bad that to me. But it was the sunshine. I don't know, but in Los Angeles, the storefronts are gone. <laughs> what? <clears throat> what the fuck did I just read? Okay, that I think that wraps up Trump verbatim theater. Um, let's move on with the dirty deeds. The dirty deeds. An in-depth look at this week's most important stories. Yeah, isn't it? I don't know. When you when you actually see what he says just written down, it's like, how is this coming out of an adult? I don't know. Anyways. Who knows? 
many people have decided that just because their states have started to quote unquote reopen, that means that uh, though the virus is gone, I can go about my daily routine. I can go to Seven Eleven not wearing a gas or a gas a, a mask. I was going to say gas mask, well, although that's what you bring to a protest, not necessarily Seven Eleven, but. Uh, the, the people are just going about their daily routines, pretending like nothing is going on, and it's frustrating. I, I I get annoyed when I see people not wearing masks because this has become politicized for some reason. Now, according to Donald Trump, you're a pussy for not wearing a mask, and that's yeah. Just, what is this? I, I don't have, like. Yeah, I don't understand why people are so up in arms about fucking wearing masks. It's so like, messed I don't get up. It. So we've got all these states reopening, and since states have started to reopen, uh, hotspots have started to pop up because the virus is still here. It's still here. I, you know, I people. Have you been noticing people are getting more lax about everything, or is um, it just me? You know, I don't go out too much. I I was at the grocery store last night, and I saw a bunch of like, um, like I don't know, teenagers. Uh, not wearing a mask in the grocery store and I was about to like just like what the fuck are you doing? Right. But I didn't <laughs> You don't want to wanted to. You don't want to so, be a Karen. but that's probably the the worst I've seen. Like you know, most people are uh that I've seen, I I don't really go out still. I'm I'm trying to avoid public as much as I can. Well, that's because uh, you take this seriously. Are to it. The, you're taking this seriously and I I am just hearing about people that are still going about their regular routines. You know, once bars and restaurants started to open up, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be right there. I'm first in line to go to the bars and restaurants. Yeah. Now, I know that we need to support these businesses, but you don't need to be there. And just going there just because you feel like you can't sit at home, you're getting a little antsy. Oh, I can't sit at home with my... With my loved ones, I got to get out of the house because I hate my life so much. I'm just so goddamn impatient. Impatient, you know. Just for the love of God, just it's not over. Nothing has changed. Not Literally, over. nothing has changed. In fact, it's gotten worse. It's getting worse. You know, just because New York's getting better, uh, other states in the country they're getting worse. You know, like I feel like the whole. Like national news, uh, it was all about New York, right? For the first month or uh, two months, and as their cases started dropping, like it felt like everyone started relaxing on everything across the country, and they never should have, right? Like, uh, yeah, all of these, all these, all these reopenings are arbitrary. They really are. It's just like they decided that it's time to reopen because we're seeing this big economic hit. That really sucks, and everybody's affected. I'm affected. Everybody's affected by it, and uh, yeah, it really sucks. But you know what? It's if we're lucky, maybe only a year, year and a half. That's really not that much time to make sure that we don't have millions of people dying, including maybe yourself. And even if you do get COVID nineteen, a lot of people are having lasting uh, effects of health it. issues, health yeah. issues that linger for God knows how long. There's so much we don't know. Hospitalizations are rising in Arizona, the Carolinas, Utah, Arkansas, Texas, Tennessee, and Florida. And um, people are going out, making contact with each other, not wearing masks. And even if you do wear a mask, by the way, you're not preventing it 100%, the transmission. Yeah, go ahead. 
Oh, I was just going to say, in all these states, you know, there's different phases that states are reopening. And all these states continue on with, like, the next phase, like phase one. Uh, and then they go to phase two. But the the idea and the rules that they were supposed to be following were cases declining for two weeks straight. And they have completely thrown that out the window. And even as, as cases are uh, increasing in their states, they continue to move on through their op- reopening phases. And that fucking is negligent. Basically, like fucked up. what they're doing is just uh, hurling everybody into this virus and saying, yes, let's, you know, you may die, you may not die. Let's see what happens to you because we need to make some money in the economy. People's lives are being thrown in front of a bus over for a dollar is what's happening right now. And it's, it's, and it's disgusting. And it's, a, it's a dollar for the rich people, too. Right. Right. Exactly. A dollar for the. Thank you for clarifying that, because, yes, Exactly. And that that is that's and, and th- these rich people, these uh, these millionaires, these corporations have already gotten a lot of money with the with the bailout economically. And now they want us to put our lives at risk so they can make even more money on top of that. Fuck you. Seriously, they they, Steve Mnuchin, uh, secretary of Treasury, won't even disclose which companies uh, were approved for uh, bailout from the five hundred billion dollars. It's it's he won't, he won't tell anyone. No, I mean we should know that's our money, right? Our taxpayer money. What should really be happening the, is if we look to other European countries where, or even Canada, every resident is getting like two thousand dollars a month, and that's probably how it should be for the next year, year and a half. And we all, and that money should be going to you and me and everybody listening, and and that's how we could actually get through this economically and also safely because people will feel less inclined to work and have to go out and um i mean that just makes sense it's working well, other places. Also, you know the the ppp loans and um all this bailout money like they send it to businesses the ppp loans were designed to for businesses to provide paychecks to their employees and still feel connected to uh them as a business like just send the money directly to the people, right? Like yep. fuck the business. Like I get it; it's hard. Have those come, you know, those businesses apply for a loan to get them through this. But send the money to the people. Like stop tiptoeing around. Like there's a lot of shady people out there. Like just send the money directly to people. Send our money to us is what it is. We why the fuck do we pay taxes? It's I mean we're told to. Uh, to pay our taxes and be good Americans. That way we are contributing to the good of society. And that way we all have, uh, what's the point of paying taxes? If there's no security in that, it's not even our money. Like we're just going further in debt as a nation, right? Borrowing against the future. That's going to happen because of the the situation of everything, but it has to, it's okay. We'll get through it. Uh, you know, when you wreck your car and your savings account is at zero, you might max out a credit card, but then you pay it back over time. And that's what America needs right. to do right now. It's fine. Exactly. Um, and don't tie it to business. Just fucking get people money so they don't have to starve. Exactly. And back to these cases, coronavirus is continuing to spread. 4,400 corona cases have been reported in Arizona over the last three days. And that is, uh, there's becoming a hot spot in Arizona. 
And they're linking this to the reopening and uh, the way that it has been mishandled. People not giving a shit, not wearing masks. They're not being required to wear masks in public places in Arizona. Uh, One former state health official director uh, in Arizona says that uh, coronavirus cases are definitely related to the spike is definitely related to the reopening. A former director of the Arizona Department of Health Services. His name is Will Humble. He said that the spike is definitely related, and you see this steady incline in the number of new cases relative to total cases, and it's attributable to the drop in the stay-at-home order. Um, you know, we should all just be hunkering down, cancel the rent, cancel mortgage, just give us enough money to survive. You know, I, I don't. At this point, I wouldn't. If you want to utilize the military, Donald Trump have uh, have the National Guard deliver groceries to everybody safely and just tell us to stay home for six months. I, I would be happy with that. And then give us $2,000 a month. I, we'd knock this thing out in no time. We'd be almost done with it by now. <sighs> um, yeah. I think it's worth uh, also noting the impact that it's had on the Navajo Nation. I don't think there's enough press I know, about this. Have you right. heard about them? You're right. I, yeah, I've heard about this a little bit, but go ahead. So uh, the Navajo Nation spreads across three states, Arizona, Utah, and New Mexico. So 27,000 square miles, and there's a, roughly 175,000 people that live there. The infection rate for uh, the Navajo Nation is 3.4% and has more than 6,000 confirmed cases. If you compare it to New York State, New York State only had an infection rate of 1.9%. So the 1.9% and like it was devastating to the state of New York, the Navajo Nation and Navajo people are experiencing a 3.4% infection rate. Wow. Like just wrap your mind around that. Wow. So you're saying that America is not taking care of Native Americans. Such a surprise there. And meanwhile, in Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis, douche, DeSantis, douches, that's a terrible, I'm not good at, at these uh, bad nicknames like Trump is, but uh, I'm, 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 I'm proud of that because I don't want to be anything, I don't want to be good at anything he's good at. Governor DeSantis, uh, he doesn't give a shit that there's a huge spike in Florida right now, and they, they want to have the RNC in Jacksonville, Florida, by the way, the Republican National Convention during this big peak. And DeSantis is just such a dipshit. Him and Trump are actually spewing the same narrative right now, saying that the reason why we're seeing this uptick, this spike in uh, COVID-19 confirmed cases is because of testing. They're blaming the testing. That's what they're saying. We're we're seeing the spike because we have more tests. Um, Okay. You know what? That, That doesn't... Why even... Okay, yes... Now take care of the problem. I don't know what 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 do you think? What do you take uh, uh, in that point right there? Like what the hell are they trying to say here? Did I lose Jason? <laughs> I may be talking to myself here, but yeah that that is what uh, that's what DeSantis is saying. That's what Trump is saying is that the reason why we are seeing a spike is because of increased testing. Now we need the testing that way we can identify these people where they are, and then we can start to contact trace and isolate, this is what we're supposed to be doing. We don't stop the testing. That way there's less cases on paper because the virus is still out there. Um, anyways, we'll be back <clears throat> Excuse me, with our guest. Oh, it's news to us. 
<clears throat> all hell's breaking loose. Oh, I'm having one of those moments. <clears throat> oh, like a newscaster that chokes. Hang on. Oh, I gotta have some water. There we go. Much better. Uh, we'll be right back with uh, our guest, Dr. Uh, Cindy Bonnier is going to be joining us next, running for House in the 19th District of California as a Democrat with the primary on August 18th. She'll be on uh, with us next live. It's news to us. Don't go anywhere. Vote or die. It's news to us. Election 2020 coverage continues. It's news to us. We're back live on Adobe Radio. And, uh, Jason, we are joined by our guest, our very distinguished guest that is actually running for House, 19th District, Florida, as Democrat. Dr. Cindy Banier is joining us. Welcome, Dr. Banier. Hi. Thank you so much for having me here today. Thank you so much for being here. We appreciate you joining us. Uh, and you are you're running right now. This is actually not your first time running for office. You did it when you were 18, right? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I had thought that, uh, you know, I wanted to exercise my right and part of the democracy. So when I was 18 years old and I registered to vote, I went into the office and I said, well, what can I run for? And they said, well, precinct delegate. And so I signed up for that. Um, I lost. But, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, I guess it's been a lifelong passion for me to be involved in service to our community. Oh, that's great. That's great. So what do you what made you interested in, in doing that at such a young age? I, I, you know, I, like I said, I don't know. It's just I had always been excited about this. I was a really nerdy kid. I was captain of the debate team, and <laughs> um, I just really love to think about policy and how we can make it better. And I went on and got undergraduate degree studying policy and international relations, and um, and then I even went and got master's and PhD in it. So I just kept on going and uh, taking a lot of twists and turns along the way. But you know, I really just was has been have been called to service and have spent my entire life preparing by getting the right experience and the right education. You uh, got your doctorate in Japan, correct? That's right. I did. I did. It's a great time. That's really cool. What part of Japan? So uh, I was actually a student. I did my master's and my PhD at Ritsumeikan Ajateheyo Daigaku, uh, otherwise known as APU, Asia Pacific University, in Beppu. So it is rural southern Japan, a tiny town that they decided to build this international university in. And we're about two hours away from Fukuoka, uh, which is two hours away from uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima. It's right in between. And uh, it's just a fantastic time. I looked learned a heck of a lot about rural development. I can grow shiitake mushrooms and pickle plums oh. um, and uh, <laughs> amongst other things. But my, my actual research was in government and how governments help people. Oh, that sounds like so much fun. I, I think if I spent any time there, I would never want to come back. It just seems like that's what I hear from people who go to Japan, too, is they spend time in like in that area or uh, different like Tokyo or something. I've had some friends go there and yeah. they say they don't want to come back. I'm surprised. Oh that you yeah, did no, come I was eight years abroad. Okay. I told my parents right. I was going to teach for one year in Taiwan, and uh, I came back, like I said, eight years later with a PhD. So okay, you did. Uh, stay the there. allure is there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and you were so you're originally from Michigan, and you're born to teenage parents, correct? Is that's sort of yep. your bio, what it says at least. Uh, what was it like growing up in Michigan with young parents? 
well, you know, we were learning along the way together. Um, it was great. We had this opportunity to achieve the American dream. Um, my parents uh, got jobs, uh, got scholarships. My dad got a union job right out of high school welding. And that really helped our po- our family get out of poverty. And they continued on with their education and made sure that I had that value instilled in me. And um, it's it, it was, you know, I got to see the, what hard work can do. And I also got to see some twists and turns in the system that I was inspired to fix. And it, those values and those lessons guide me today. What were some what were those twists and turns that you saw? One story that particularly my mom tells uh, when she was young, she got a scholarship. She was a nerd like me. My dad was the cool welder guy. And, um, but uh, she got a scholarship to go to college, and she had to pay taxes on it, on it. And that scholarship actually took away from our ability, uh, the amount of money that we got for, you know, welfare and, and, and food supports at that time. And uh, she felt like it was just a, a system that had a lot of barriers built against you. And, and uh, some of those things are still in play today. And I really want to work to make sure that we have streamlined policies that help people get up and out of, po- uh, out of poverty without putting some of those barriers in there and without penalizing people for things like scholarships or things like, you know, working to get up and out uh, of a situation as well. Why do do you think this country just uh, is set up in a way to keep people down? What is that? I mean, the American dream I thought was all about somebody from poverty becoming a millionaire. That's what we're fed, at least just uh, as a nation. But it doesn't seem to be true. Yeah, it's not. I mean, even the situation, listen, my parents, I'm a social scientist having studied this for a long time, poverty alleviation around the world. I'll tell you the the circumstance of my parents going from being impoverished to upper middle class, that's, that's a transition that most people cannot make in this country. And I think the, the reason is because the systems are designed to fail. I mean, look at Florida right now. We have an unemployment system that was designed to fail by a Republican governor, Rick Scott, who wanted to make sure that his unemployment numbers are low. It's this kind of stuff all the time. It's really insane. It's it's bureaucratic nonsense. It's political posturing just to keep numbers down. So there can be this veneer of it looks like we're doing something. But there's this whole reality of it. They really don't want to do anything. And that's sort of what we're starting to see with COVID-19 with DeSantis wanting to curb the testing and there's even reports of one um health care or uh scientist uh, rather in florida mm-hmm. that was studying the numbers that was fired and now she's gone on her on her own mm-hmm. to report these statistics independently i mean i it's just how do we, how do we fight this sort of thing because it's just infuriating when we have lies in our face constantly uh-huh yeah, I agree. So Dr. Rebecca Jones is who you're talking about. She was uh, the architect of the state database or the, da- the dashboard so we could all kind of keep up uh, with what was going on. And she was asked to fudge the numbers. And it was already basically, it was already problematic to begin with. And she was just kind of going along because she believed that data should drive this, like I do. She's actually a hero of mine. I'm a data scientist, too. I do a lot of evaluation and dashboarding and things like that as well. And I just thought it was really amazing that she stood up. The problem that I've really found in my work that we see playing out with Dr. Jones is that when people want image to be a certain thing, the first person who gets thrown out 
is the data person, is the researcher that has the truth. I face it in my job. I've lost jobs for telling the truth with data. Um, and I think that the answer really is, is keep going. So that's why I'm so impressed that uh, Dr. Jones turned around and, you know, made her rogue website. I, I tweet it all the time because um, it's amazing. It's got the data that we actually need in it, uh, which is a combination of putting together Florida residents and uh, um, some of the other information that was purposely left out of the state dash dashboard to make it look like things were lower than they were. So I think you just got to keep going. You got to keep telling the truth and you got to keep shouting it to somebody who will listen. And, and you elect people who A, care about database decision-making and B, transparency. And I'll tell you what, the DeSantis administration doesn't care about either one of those. I mean, t- to me, it's weird that they want to take these numbers and then make it look like they're not as big as they actually are. Because to me, I, if, if I saw a politician facing these enormous numbers and they were actually able to overcome them, I feel like they would get more of a following and people would have more respect for them. But I, it's almost like they don't want to do any work. You think that's really what it boils down to? It's just they, they're all about spinning the narrative, and that is all they do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head with that. Yeah, they don't want to do the work. They don't want to make the changes. And, you know, for us here, it's, it is all that image, everything's safe. Come on down. Come to the beaches. Come, come to our hotels. Open up Disney World. Yeah, no big deal. Everything's fine, because that's the major, major economic drivers. That's the bread and butter for people like Ron DeSantis and others and the Republican Party, is they're the big business folks. And so they got to make it seem like everything is hunky-dory. Well, when you're a person like me, who's a mom to a vulnerable child, and you also happen to be a data scientist so you're watching these numbers click up and up and up you're absolutely horrified and you have to be locked in your house because they say well now it's your responsibility as the the somebody who has a vulnerable person in their family you just have to stay in lockdown and all the rest of us will just keep spreading this disease and filling up the hospitals and hopefully it won't ever come to you and your child uh but we got to keep the economy going so yeah they don't want to do the work but they also want to make money I mean, they're throwing all of us in front of a bus for a couple of bucks. Meanwhile, they're bailing out all these corporations. Uh, like these, uh, these corporations are getting all this money, and uh, some Americans are seeing a thirteen hundred dollar check. Why? I mean, how do you communicate this to people, and how how do you say you're getting the short end of the stick here? Well, you just keep you just keep saying it. You just keep going over and over and tell people what your vision for the future is. I would never have green-lighted uh, this kind of corruption and graft in our stimulus package. I would not have allowed such corporate rent-seeking to happen, which is where corporations just take the money from people because they've curried favors and leave the American people struggling. I mean, yeah. You know, twelve hundred dollars per person is not really cutting it for a three month shutdown. And um, you know, now we're coming up here in the state of Florida, July first, they're going to allow evictions to happen again. So we're looking at a whole nother crisis coming for everyday Americans. And it's really just kind of telling that story over and over again and saying, "Listen, I'm right here with you. I lost money in this. I've lost jobs. I've had one of my clients, uh, you know." hours reduced. Um, I have a vulnerable child. I have children. I had to become a teacher when they shut down the school too. I'm right here with you. So I understand. I'm not 
you know, Rick Scott, who is now a senator, who sat there and told us, oh, we don't want to have too much unemployment insurance. That hundred, that $600 a week, that's going to keep people from going back into the job market. You know, with without a hint of irony of the hundreds of millions of dollars that he personally has stolen through fraud, uh, right. you know, early in his career. So I just, it's the, the lack of care for people, um, is astonishing. And what I bring to the table is somebody who's fighting for that and will keep saying it and will back it up with policy and will back it up with the mic. Cause I don't back down. What's the, what is your what policy specifically? I know that you go into a lot of detail uh, with what your plan is, but how would your response to this be different exactly? Well, I just would reorient it. I mean, first and foremost, I, I would make sure that dollars are going into small businesses, actual small businesses. So that's really the first part of it. If we're looking at economic revival, making they, defi- they define small businesses as 500 or under employees. Now, I don't know about you, but when somebody says small business to me, I- I'm certainly not thinking of somebody with 500 employees. I'm thinking of the mom and pop shops downtown. Those are actually qualified as micro enterprises as 20 full-time employees are less. They make up 91% of our economy here in Southwest Florida. And they, they are the ones that are putting food on the table for families. And if you look at that even further, that, that data further, if you look at uh, the breakdown between um, black owned small businesses and white owned small businesses, a lot of them are, are sole entrepreneurs, right? So 80, 90% of those uh, small businesses that are black owned are sole proprietorships. And it's like 70% of the white businesses. So even those are, those are astonishing figures. So that means these are people who are entrepreneurs working on their own, helping to feed their family. And there's zero support for them. Even right. for someone like myself, I couldn't get into these, any of these supports because me as a, as a solo entrepreneur, it was almost impossible to file the right paperwork. Why and it's, so it's, well, it's unnecessarily cool hard, isn't it? It's like all unnecessarily hard, and it's almost like yep. the uh, the people in the positions of power, the ones who are deciding to abuse it, have found a way to loot America. Is what it feels like. Is we're all being robbed blind, and I don't. It, uh, yeah, it's very demoralizing. And I, what are we? What are we supposed to do? I mean, this country is really falling apart in many people's opinions. So I. How how are you restoring hope to people? What do you what do you say to people who are just really down on the system? You know, I tell them that there is uh, faith in the system that we used to be the government that everyone around the world looks to, and I know because that was my work for years before I moved back to the United States was telling the story of good governance. How can we design policy that works for people? I've worked with more than 25 countries around the world, helping them to design this kind of policy. How does it work for people? How do we connect it from top to bottom? And frankly, it's a lot of streamlining. It's a lot. It's it's taking away the power of the national government and decentralizing it locally, but making sure that the funds are there and that the goals are there and that we're aligning all the way. Because the more steps we put in between, the more expensive it is. And frankly, most of these steps, like you had pointed out here, are put in there so that only the people who have the knowledge, the insider baseball knowledge of the system know how to get to it. Right. And that's not right either. It's got to be streamlined top to bottom. And so I, you know, I tell people, you know, have faith that if you elect somebody who's actually working for you, that actually knows what they're doing, 
we have a heck of a lot better chance of getting the kinds of change made and the system working for the people than we do if we just elect the next shiny person, you know, who happens to have jumped in this race. Right. I mean, it feels like a lot of voters just kind of fall for what's flashy and um, they're easily manipulated. And talking about this stuff really isn't that fun, but it is important. I mean, I, I don't I just don't know how how to reach a lot of this big segment of America that is still supporting these policies and these people who are actually against their own best interest. I, is it is it yeah. a lost cause? Do you think? Do we just leave these people behind and try to get those to vote who aren't? You know, my strategy is this: and listen, there are very few people in life in this world who have dedicated the time, hours, research to understanding the intricacies of policy like I have. This is what I love, so I do it. I've researched it. I've published on it. You know, most people, they're doing other stuff. They're taking care of their families. They're doing their job. They're enjoying life with their friends, whatever it is. It's not their interest. But what they should be doing is electing people who this is their interest. Um, It's about messaging when it comes down to it. What do people think uh, is going to make a difference? What is going to make them feel good? What is aligned with their identity? That's one of the reasons why I have presented myself the way that I do. I don't always come out as Professor Banyay all the time because not a lot of people want to listen to that all the time. What I come out is, hey, I'm a mom and I'm a, I'm a boxer, so I'm going to fight for you. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take care of our community. I'm going to take care of our kids. I'm going to fix our water. And you can always count on me to be able to talk to you. And you can always count on me to fight what's right for, right, what's right for us. And that message carries a lot further. But I also have the what's what behind it. And so that's kind of what my approach has been is like, let me be approachable. Let me, you know, be out there and have the energy that people want in these times of being downtrodden. And I can actually bring the goods. And your primary is coming up on the 18th of August up against two other Democratic nominees or uh, candidates, right? I, I guess. So uh, the David Holden uh, was the Democrat who ran in 2018. Um, he ran against the incumbent who didn't even mount a campaign and still lost by nearly 26 points and um, has decided to run and primary me, even though I had filed for it and begged him not to. But he thinks that he can run a good campaign. Um, uh, but I'm, you know, I'm taking my credentials and my community commitment and putting that out there and we're getting a lot of, uh, people resonating with that. Now, apparently there's another fellow who's a writing candidate. I've never met him. I don't, I've never heard of him. I tried to Google him and couldn't find him. So mm. I, I don't know where that came from. So, well, you know, good luck to you when the primary uh, happens there. I mean, I think uh, you got a pretty good shot just based on what you just said. <laughs> I mean, doesn't sound like... Well, I mean, your your main opponent, though, are, are you worried at all? Do you feel like uh, this person has any uh, advantage over you, or are you feeling pretty confident? Well, you know, I'm feeling pretty confident that I'm the right person to flip this seat and that I have a lot of energy, but 
here's what the, the truth is, is I'm a mom, I'm a single mom and I'm a working lady. Um, and I, I, I'm not somebody who's well connected with the wealthy and fabulous people. Um, my opponent happens to be somebody who's very well connected with wealthy people. Um, and so, you know, that, that advantage, he, he knows many people. I know regular people, you know, I used to run a homeless shelter. I'm not, I don't hide any of that, but I'm grassroots powered. I'm so proud to say that I have over 1100 people investing in my campaign, which is fantastic for a grassroots candidate like me. Um, and so I think that that energy is really what's going to take me forward here. Well, that's great. You know, we, we love to support the grassroots candidates and people who are actually of the people and, uh, yeah, we wish you the best of luck with this and, uh, we need, so are you saying that your opponent is taking a lot of big contributions to his campaign? Uh, is that, is that what's going on? I, I'm sorry. I haven't looked into your opponent too much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's just put it this way. I, I started to run the campaign cause I wanted to, to serve the people. And you know, the day that he filed his paperwork, he had a bank account full of people who had maxed out donations. Okay. Yeah, that so, says that says yeah. it all right there. I mean, there's like two different. It almost feels like there's two different uh, two different uh, sections of the party right now, don't you think? The grassroots, and then also the big money. And is it going to split off at some point? I mean, like I don't know. What this is kind of like a hypothetical question. What do you think? What do you, what's the direction of the Democratic Party? I don't know. You know, I, you know, I'm somebody, this district is very red that I'm running in. So we were kind of like an orphan anyway. And I knew I started running that nobody was going to listen to, you know, they were just going to kind of watch and see what happened. Um, And that's disappointing to me. You know, we look at Florida, we actually, for the first time in more than 25 years, filled uh, with Democrats, all the state uh, Senate races and all but one of the state house races. Uh, And it's got the Republicans really worried because a lot of those were cakewalks for them. And um, I think what it comes down to is we got to shift, not necessarily just along the ideology, but along the strategy side too, is if we're just handing stuff over to the Republicans left, right, and center, of course they're just going to keep taking it, right? So it's like we put all our eggs in one basket. So, but, you know, if we kind of also scattershot to a certain extent, we can get and galvanize the people in the grassroots and get that voter support and all that stuff out too, because that's what people want to see. They want to see somebody fighting for them. Nobody's going to come out and vote Democrat if there's nobody on the ticket that's going to change their their area. Um, and so, you know, maybe maybe that's it. I think we can all talk about the the philosophical component um, when we get there too. Um, you know, there's some pretty big ones, but I think that you know we we can be aligned around the fact that we absolutely cannot let Donald Trump and his Republican enablers continue to take our country down the path of authoritarianism. Well, best of luck to you. Um, We throw our support behind you and we hope that uh, by the time the RNC is in Jacksonville, that you have secured your spot. And uh, August 18th is the primary. So if you are in Southwest Florida, keep uh, Dr. Cindy Banier in mind. Thank you so much for yeah. joining us. We appreciate it. And it's Cindy4SWFL.com. Um, yep. C-A-N-D-Y. Yep. And also com- conversations on Twitter, SWFLMom2020, Facebook, same thing, Instagram, same thing. I think Twitter is where we keep it lively. But uh, would love to have your support. Would love to have volunteers. Everything helps grassroots candidate like me. So thank you, you so be, much for having me can, here. And let's do this. 
You could be anywhere in the country to support as well. So th- thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate you. All right. Have a good night. Have a good night. Bye. Bye. All right. There she is. Uh, as our election coverage continues, I don't know if Jason is here or not. Our connection went out last segment. Have no idea. Yeah, I, I think oh. I'm here. No, oh my God, there you are. I don't know. Say something. <laughs> I, it kept cutting in and out. Like I have no <laughs> idea what just happened. I don't know. I got like the last three minutes of uh, your conversation, and I'm really disappointed. Sorry about that. Your microphone actually sounds better than it did the last couple segments. Maybe we just had a bad connection before. Yeah, I sure. don't know. It's a the remote, whatever. Everybody's being remote right now, so yeah. Um, we're, we're our show is impacted by COVID. Yeah, COVID impact. But we're gonna still s- stay home, right? I'll be right back. Okay, we're back on its news to us. Jason is here, I believe. Yes, he is. Uh, we technical issues this week. It's fine. Whatever. We're remote. Yeah, don't worry about it. Jason's there. I'm here, socially distanced, and you sound you, sad, Eddie. You know how Man of the Hour is doing their show socially distanced. It's kind of funny. They they set up in uh, Seb's backyard with these giant microphone poles, and they sit like like I don't know, fifty feet apart. Pretty funny, huh? In the backyard, um, I don't know. I'm not saying we should do that. I'm just saying it's kind of funny. That'd be like a whole another can of worms, technically, to, to deal with. I don't want to do that, but yeah. <laughs> but we're doing the best we can with what we got. I mean, I you know, we'll have to decide here when we want to go back to being in, in person. Yeah, we don't have to rush, you know. Yeah, we whenever we're both comfortable safe. with it. I mean, I, I'm really isolated. I'm more isolated than you are, so. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know. I'm definitely more of the risk. That's for sure. I don't. Yeah, I don't. You you deal with the public at your job. I guess it just kind of depends on what we're looking like. Uh, honestly, I want to see if there's a second wave going into fall and winter, and then I, and then also. By then we might have a treatment or something, you know. I I'm just, I say at least this is going to be the summer remote. This, oh yeah. Well, yeah. did you see the FDA uh, took away the the designation that hydro hydroxychloroquine was uh, a treatment plan for COVID? I did. Yeah. I yeah, did, yeah. They dismissed that. Yep. Fucking no shit. Well, before we wrap up, are are you familiar with the term Karen? Oh, my God. I get Karen all the time now. I was going to say you probably do because I remember working in, in a job uh, like yours. I deal with the public. And it's worse now. Karen's all it's the worse. time. It's way worse now. I thought it might be fun if we did the Karen of the week. <laughs> and here's this. Katie was called a Karen on Twitter. Oh. <laughs> Can I speak to the manager? It's news to us. Karen of the week. Okay, so there is this. I don't even understand this one, really, what this Karen is uh, upset about. But here she is. This is at a Walmart. She is talking to another customer that's trying to check out his groceries. I need your help. Y- yes, you do, motherfucker. 
<laughs> you do. You do need my help, sir. Can you- so she's like, he's like, I don't need your help. And she's like, uh, he's just standing there minding his own business. And she's like, can I help you? And uh, he's like, no, I don't, I don't need your help. So that's basically what's going on here. <laughs> you do. You do need my help, sir. Can you see that, you son of a bitch? Could you please <laughs> just let me? Well, she just calls him a son of a bitch out of what nowhere. What the fuck? Just some <laughs> random lady yes. going at another random guy? Yeah. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> wow. This is. You got to ask Jesus Christ. I don't all have sinners. to do anything. We're all sinners. Okay. I mean, he was like, he's not going to force you to do You're it. You're sinning right now. No, I'm not, motherfucker. You fucking accuser. Get the so at this point the uh the employees step in and say like ma'am what's going on here what's going on <laughs> I, I just want to get some groceries and go home. <laughs> okay. That's your carrot of the week. I feel like some, not, not to dismiss this, but, or this specific clip, but who films themselves checking out? Like, sometimes I wonder if these, some of these are staged. I know they are. Like, who, I'm going to scan my groceries and I'm going to fucking film it too. Well, the video um, starts kind of halfway through the confrontation. That's okay. why I feel like it okay. might be real. Fair enough. Like, you pull it out because you know that shit's going to get weird. Yeah, exactly. It didn't, cool. At least as far as I can tell. I mean, because if it starts in, and the lady did look a bit deranged, I don't know what's going on with her. So, hope that she gets the help she needs. Um, Karen's, though, they're out there. Have you ever been one? Um, have I ever been a Karen? Can I speak to your manager? I, I'm sure everybody's been a Karen at one point or another, right? Yeah, but like, there's a different level to it. Like, like just no, no reason for it. You know, no logical okay. reason. I've never done the no logical reason thing. No. Okay. No, absolutely not. If I actually, I feel bad. I'm like the anti Karen because I feel bad complaining when there's a legitimate reason for me to do so. You're such a liberal. You don't, don't want you? violence. You don't want confrontation. I'm the same way. <laughs> There's a Karen behind you yelling at us. There's a Karen behind me yelling. <laughs> okay. Well, oh, she's doing laundry and saying fucking liberals. Oh, uh, yeah. That's a Karen. <laughs> that's a Karen. Oh, boy. Oh, boy's right. I'm going to go get beaten now. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> well, there's no winning after you say that statement, so I'm just saying okay. We'll be right back. Or not right back. We're done. We'll we'll we're be done? right back next week. Oh shit! We're done. No. I know. I feel like we're just warming up after taking a few weeks off, sort of in a weird way. A couple of, I mean, after society, I took time off. The whole show kind of just went weird for a few weeks, but. Anyways, we'll be back again next time. And uh, bye, everybody. Be safe. Respect one another.
appreciate it very much, Tim Apple. That wasn't very respectful. What's it doing? Designing my new 2021 Nissan Kicks Online in the Kicks Color Studio. I give each a special name. This one's electric blue, orange, red, white. I call it the gumball machine. You think it's me? I feel like you're more of a red velvet guy. Limitless possibilities. With over 100 million available color combinations and Bose Personal Plus system. In the boldly new 2021 Nissan Kicks. Bose is the registered trademark of the Bose Corporation. Color combinations include interior and exterior colors. Customization is an available feature subject to availability at participating Nissan dealer. See dealer for details.